Well, welcome to The F Word. This is producer Jeff. And before we air this week's episode, I wanted to give you a little information about The F Word going forward. The F Word is joining a family of shows called The Hub, which is a ministry of the gathering here in St. Louis. And as we launch The Hub this week, all the shows are going to be speaking on the topic of rest. So this week, we're excited to share our interview with Rabbi Amy Fader called The Power of Rest. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the F Word Conversations on Faith. I am Pastor Matt Miofsky, and I am so glad that you dropped in to listen today. Just a couple of things on the front end. All of these episodes are available as a podcast. You can share them. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, I would love it if you would do that. You can just search the F Word, my name, Matt Miofsky, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, subscribe to it. You can get one if you missed it, share it with somebody else, leave a review because that's the way the world works these days, the algorithms. Uh, And also I have an email address now, the F word at gatheringnow.org. And I would love to hear from you. I want to weave into future episodes, some time for ask the pastor. I'm going to put a little time aside and anything you want to know, God, theology, life, faith, church, You can ask it. I'll answer it. The F word at gatheringnow.org. I hope you will email me and let me know what you're thinking. Okay, so it's just me today, but I have failed to introduce in previous weeks that there's a guy sits next to me. He's the guy who handles all the like sound stuff. He's our producer. His name's Jeff. And I normally don't call him out on the show, but I'm calling him out today because uh, Jeff, say hi to everyone. Hi, guys. Uh, Thanks, Matt. You told me before we came on, you're tired. You're really tired. I'm really tired. You were drinking this huge monster energy drink, which uh, you're not supposed to don't drink too much of those. They're not, I don't think they're supposed to be healthy, but you're tired for a reason. You just had a baby. And what happened last night? Last night, my baby, Louie, we had him on New Year's Eve, by the way. So it's just snuck in there on 2020. The best thing to happen in 2020. Uh, He is not loving sleeping at night. So about 4 a.m., I'm out driving around, going to the 24-hour McDonald's for some coffee, and he falls asleep in the car, thank God. But yeah, I'm I'm running on empty today. Well, running on Monster. Yeah, so I asked Jeff, you know, as I do, so many people that I see, you know, how are you today? And he said, good, I'm doing doing good. That's how most of us respond. You know, I, if we see each other in the street, how you doing? I'm doing great. But every once in a while, I'll ask, and especially before the pandemic, uh, I would ask my congregation, well, how are you really? And then Jeff said, well, really, I'm, I'm tired. And I have this observation, you know, before, pre-pandemic times, I would ask people at church, you know, hundreds of people some Sundays, how are you doing? And, I, you know, I started keeping track of the top answers that I would get. And I'm going to give you all the top answers. I would get busy. Number one answer is busy. And right behind it is uh, I'm tired or I'm wiped out or I'm running on fumes or something like that. And I don't think this is an accident that we sort of live in a culture that seems to be chronically busy. And I'm talking pre-pandemic. I mean, all of us know this, whether you are a parent uh, trying to take kids all over the place, whether you are a kid, a teenager, or a college student who's got all sorts of different activities and things going on, maybe you work, maybe, you know, you think I should be less busy, I retired or something like that, and yet somehow the day gets filled up. I mean, we just see to live in a culture where we are chronically busy. And there's a reason for that. I mean, we're rewarded based on our productivity. That's the kind of culture we live in. We're rewarded based on how much we do. A lot of us wear our busyness like a badge of honor. We think of our calendars not packed. We're not doing it right. And it's no surprise that where this leaves a lot of us is tired. I have a friend who says it doesn't just leave us tired, but really tired. And I don't know if you know what I mean by that. But, you know, really tired is a, a tired when, you know, you're running, you're overscheduled, you never feel like you have done enough, and yet you're already doing as much as you can do. I mean, that's really tired. Really tired is that kind of tired that, you know, when you're on vacation, you realize you need a vacation from the vacation. That's how tired you are. You know, really tired is, you know, when you have a day off, it never seems like enough or two days off or a three day weekend, you wish it was four, like it, you never seem to catch up. It's a kind of tired uh, that 
isn't solved easily, like with a new calendaring system or an app or a better way to get things done or becoming more productive. It's not the kind of tired that is solved with better technology or becoming more efficient. I mean, I see this all the time in people. This kind of tired is deeper. And really tired is actually a spiritual problem that requires, I think, a spiritual solution. And that's really why today I wanted to take a whole episode to talk about the idea, the biblical idea of rest, which in the Bible is called Sabbath, because I think that this idea of rest and Sabbath is maybe one of the most relevant and needed biblical ideas for the kind of lives that we live. And I'll tell you why I think it's important to talk about it now. I think it's important to talk about it now because, of course, we've been in a pandemic for almost a year now. And the pandemic has been awful in all sorts of ways. We could list all the ways. But one thing that I consistently hear people say to me is, you know, but it has been kind of nice to have a little bit more time. It has been kind of nice to spend a little bit more time with the people that uh, I love being around, or it's been kind of nice not to have so many things on the calendar. It's been kind of nice that I have an excuse not to have to go to all sorts of things that I didn't really want to go to anyway. Like, how many of you have said that to yourself? Yes, all the things that are hard, but it's been kind of nice that I'm, I'm not stretched so thin. And I I really think in in a weird way, the pandemic has shown us the, the power of Sabbath, the power of building into the rhythm of our lives space, space to be instead of to do, you know, space to value people over productivity, space to enjoy ourselves rather than feel like we have to always get something done. I mean, Sabbath, this idea of rest is is powerful because it, it reminds us that we are created for more than just running around and, and doing a bunch of, of things. And so I really think that we, we need this. And one of my greatest fears is that when the pandemic recedes, as the vaccine becomes distributed, when we're on the other side of this, God willing, that we're simply going to rush right back to our old way of life. That before you know it, just like you know, coming back from a vacation, like the crush of calendar stuff is going to fill up. And there's going to be an explosion of activities and you're running all over the place to do. And and before you even know what happened to you, you're going to be right back in the same place that you're in before. And uh, I, I know that at least for me, one of the things that I want to take from this time going forward is the idea that that regular time apart, regular time that we set aside for something different is so important. And of course, the idea of Sabbath is doing this once a week. And, and I always... I always say this on Sabbath is, is a time for God over self that we just take a little bit of time to focus on God. It's a time of relationships over responsibilities where we can put rela- uh, responsibilities aside and focus on people that it's a time for boredom over busyness. Like give ourselves some space to be bored. Cause in that space is when we can be creative and catch a different glimpse of our life. That Sabbath is a time of enjoyment over productivity where we can, just refill our own cup. It's a, it's a time of present over the future. Instead of being so anxious about what's coming, just sort of soak up where we are. And so I think the idea of Sabbath, the idea of rest is something that a lot of us need to hear today. It's something that a lot of us need to think about because we're approaching a time when the world and all the things that it wants from us is going to come crushing or, or crashing back upon us. And I think the uh, a biblical idea of Sabbath or rest has something to offer us all now, right here where our lives are, and especially going forward in this new year. So that's what I want to talk about today. My guest today is Rabbi Amy Fader. And Rabbi Amy is the senior rabbi of Temple Israel, a large reformed synagogue uh, here in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, when she was named the senior rabbi 10 years ago, she was the youngest woman to ever lead uh, such a synagogue. She's also a musician, a singer. I've heard her. Uh, she is married. She's a mom. And I also say with great affection that she is my rabbi because I deeply respect her. Uh, I've learned a lot from her. I appreciate her wisdom and her leadership. And I'm really grateful that today we get to talk to her. So Rabbi Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you. 
so much. I'm honored to be here. So I want to start with you a little bit before we get into this idea of rest and Sabbath. Uh, I want to start with you. You grew up here in St. Louis and I don't know if this was true for you, but like I, I didn't want to be a pastor when I was a little kid. I don't know a lot of clergy that say, yeah, I think that's what I want to do. Um, how did you become a rabbi? When did you first get a sense that you wanted to be a rabbi? I mean, you actually grew up in the synagogue that you now lead. Uh, was that there from a young age or when did you begin to get a sense that maybe that's where you were headed? So, I mean, similarly to you, I definitely never thought about being clergy when I was a kid and, and I certainly would not have thought about coming back to uh, to Temple Israel to be a rabbi here. But I think that once I was in college, I went to the University of Michigan and I was studying music and Judaic studies. And I just sort of started to think about my life and started trying to think like, what would be the one job that I could do that could bring together all of these things that I loved? And I knew I wanted to sing and I wanted to teach and I love public speaking. And, um, and it sort of all came together in this you know, this idea that, gosh, I could do all of those things by being a rabbi. Um, but I wouldn't say that, you know, that it's something that I was called to do. I know that sometimes people in Judaism, we feel a little bit different than some of um, our Christian colleagues. I wouldn't necessarily say that, like, you know, God spoke to me and said, this is what I should do. But it just has felt like the right fit for me. And I'm able to do everything I love in this one job. So you guys, do, do you really, you don't really describe it most of the time as a calling? I mean, do do rabbis describe it that way so, very often? So they really don't. And my husband, who's also a rabbi, we always sort of joke that, like, had you gone into a rabbinical school interview and said that you were called, that they would have, like, shown you the door immediately. I mean, I think it's very rare for, at least for a reform rabbi, to say that they were um, called. Though the truth is, I mean, it's... I suppose it can be a calling without necessarily God having spoken to me and saying, this is what's right for you. Um, I, I, though I think there's probably a lot of things that I could have done with my life and loved and, you know, that, life is long. Who knows what will happen next? But, but this is the one thing where really everything that I love to do seems to come together in this one really sacred, awesome, and fulfilling role. This is one of the reasons I love talking to you because we both do basically the same job. We're clergy, we lead congregations, but you know, in, in Christianity, especially in Methodism, it's exactly the opposite. If we don't say we're called when we go into our <laughs> interviews, they show us the door. We, it's yeah. literally one of the questions, describe your call. I don't wow. know if, the, I don't know if the idea is, you know, no sane person would choose this only, you only get into it if God calls you into it. I, I don't know, but I, I think that's, uh, it's just funny to look at it from both in both ways. Cause I've, I've certainly that's felt, sure. I've certainly felt, uh, both of those, a sense that, uh, this is where I was being led, but also a real sense of choice that, you know, there were a number of things I could have done and, and this is what I chose to do. But with, yes. with all, with all that aside, you did get ordained. You ended up yes. back at the synagogue in which you grew up. And then only a few years later, you became the senior rabbi, the former rabbi retired. And when you became the senior rabbi, this was a big deal, right? I mean, this broke several norms. You were young, first of all, younger than, most senior rabbis, I won't make you share how old you were. Uh, you were the first woman senior rabbi that the congregation had had. And in fact, the youngest woman to lead a large reformed synagogue in the whole country, it was a large congregation. I mean, that had to be a big deal, all that. What was that transition like for you, especially, you know, at a young age? So, um, you know, so I think that... <laughs> You know, for, for the first thing, I, I have to say about the idea of being the youngest woman to do this, which is totally cool and was an amazing thing to be able to say. But also, women have only been rabbis since the 70s. So, you know, so I'm not saying it isn't a big deal, but oh, there haven't been women rabbis for all that long. So there weren't that many opportunities. But I think for me, honestly, the biggest thing was my age. So I was 31 um, when when I took the job. And the reason that it was such a big deal is really that the congregation was so large, and I think the assumption was that with a congregation this size, that someone who was as young as I was wouldn't have, you know, the life experience or the capacity to be able to do that kind of work. But I think what made it work for me was that this is the congregation where I grew up. And so, you know, I knew these people, and even if I didn't know them personally, I think, you know, 
folks from St. Louis, we know that we have our own sort of, you know, special way of doing things. And I get that. I knew these people. I know, like, you know, when someone asks you what high school you went to in St. Louis, I understand why people ask that question and, and what it means, you know. Yeah, wait, what high answer. school What high school did you go to, by the way? I went to Clayton High School. What okay. high school did you go to? I, I grew up in Washington, Missouri. I went to Washington Public High School in Washington, Missouri. Oh, well, see, I already know more about you than I did a few months ago. <laughs> but, you know, it was just one of those things where it was already my community. So to be yeah. able to be there and be both a congregant and then be its leader, I think it made it a lot easier for me to be young and to step into that position. Now, was it a struggle at first? I mean, I I have to imagine that the instant you change into becoming the senior uh, rabbi or leader of any congregational organization, suddenly you see all the things you didn't see before. I mean, le- the leadership mantle kind of rests upon you. Uh, was it hard? I mean, did, did you uh, experience things that like, I, that's not what I expected this job to be like, or it's, it's more trying or stressful than I thought it was going to be? Oh, you know, I mean, I, I think that in general, that's sort of how it feels to be a rabbi, you know, and it's the same as a pastor too, you know, suddenly you, you have this institution that you love and you, you pull back the curtain and you see everything that's back there. And, you know, the great Oz is not really the great and powerful Oz. Um, and so that, I think that's part in the beginning. Um, but it's also, you know, sometimes the most beautiful things are, are the things that there's cracks there, you know, it's, and that makes it part of why it's so special. And so I was able to see the synagogue and see like, okay, what are the things that are broken and where is that brokenness beautiful and something that we can build on? And where is there something that I can step in and fix? Um, and again, I think because I'd grown up there, people felt a little more comfortable being like, okay, we're going to let her see the, the ugly cracks. We're going to let her see the things that maybe we aren't as proud of because, you know, we, we all experienced it together and now we could all fix it together. Yeah. Well, I want to get into this idea of rest and Sabbath, but I want to start with with you because I think that your own story is really emblematic of so many, how so many people feel. I mean, in addition to being, a leader of a significant organization. You have a lot of professional responsibilities. You're also married. You're the right. mother of two children, I think a nine and 12 year old. And so you get not just what it's like to lead and be busy at work, but you're also, you know, busy in a, in a marriage, parenting two children. You've got to be stretched between a lot of different roles. And I think that this is something that a lot of people can identify with. Uh, how do you balance all of this? Is it is it hard to do all that? Because that's a lot of responsibilities for one person to pull off. So, you know, I, I think in some ways I sort of have my pre-pandemic answer and then I have my now answer. So my pre-pandemic answer was I have always been one of those people who I'm my best when I'm juggling a lot of things. You know, I make mm-hmm. my list sometimes just for the sake of being able to check things off. So, you know, so to be able to be the rabbi and to be the mom and the daughter and the sister and all of those things, it was okay because everything had its place and I could schedule them all and it was all organized and, and it was something that I felt like I could manage. I think the pandemic has changed that for me and I've seen it in other people and, and I don't know that it's a bad thing, but I think that it has forced me to slow down a little bit because I couldn't do all the things anymore. And, you know, sometimes I could just accomplish one thing in a day. Um, but it allowed me actually to appreciate, appreciate those things a little bit more, you know, like I made dinner and suddenly it's like so exciting. Oh my gosh, I made dinner, you know, when a year ago I could have done, you know, 20 different things in a day and it would have been fine. But, um, but I think my, my normal MO is someone who enjoys being able to juggle a lot of things at once. Yeah. I mean, I I bring that up because I, I suspect for you, like for a lot of us, the idea of rest or just space to not have to do is really elusive. I mean, I know that we wear our busyness like a badge of honor. I think that's been the, one of the weirdest things about the pandemic is, is it's taken away this, this excuse, this badge we wear, this way of identifying ourselves, this way of creating meaning you know, I'm busy and we do all these things. And without an ability to do all these things, we have to figure out how to fill those gaps. And it's, it's funny to me. I just received a text today 
where someone said, you know, oh, I'm sorry I didn't get back to you. It's just been really busy. And I was thinking to myself, even now in a pandemic, we've filled back in the time. And I know for me, for my congregation, for so many people I talk to, this idea of rest, I mean like authentic rest, seems hard to come by. And it's got me recently uh, thinking and reflecting all over again on the idea of Sabbath, you know, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, the practice of Sabbath, the idea of Sabbath uh, is in some ways, I think, tailor-made for American culture. <laughs> like we need yeah. this idea more than ever. So let me start kind of at the beginning. What is the idea of Sabbath? For those who don't know what I'm talking about, what is Sabbath? You know, where does this idea come from? Kind of what was its original purpose? Teach us a little. Sure. So, so Sabbath, so in Hebrew, the word is Shabbat, and it comes from the word that means um, to rest or to cease from work. And it, it, it's probably the most important commandment in the entire Torah, in the entire Hebrew Bible. And the idea is that you are supposed to take one full day each week, and it is supposed to be a perfect rest. Uh, and you do that, and you're supposed to be modeling yourself actually after God. Because if you think about the creation story in the book of Genesis, God creates, you know, the first six days, and then on the seventh day, God rests. So just as God rests, we are supposed to, you know, being made in the image of God, rest ourselves. Um, and the description of really what it means to rest, you know, it's sort of, you have your basic idea in the Torah and the five books of Moses, and then over time, um, like, you know, like all of, of Jewish teachings, it sort of becomes elucidating, clarified over time of sort of what that means. Um, because when you just say don't work, well, what does that mean? You know, does it mean don't go to your job? Does it mean don't pick up your kids? You know, does it mean, you know, don't go outside and, and plant your crops, right? Like it means something different depending on the time in which you live. And so the... Um, <laughs> classical definition basically what what the rabbis did is they went back into the torah and they determined that there were 39 different categories of work that you weren't supposed to do on shabbat and all of them would connect to something like um like the different kinds of work that you do to bake bread or to build a house or to you know to make clothes um but some of them would be things like you aren't supposed to tear or you aren't supposed to light a fire or you aren't supposed to carry something from um, one domain to another. And so if you think of those ideas and then you think, okay, well, what does that mean now for the modern age or really throughout history, it means something totally different. So not lighting a fire is going to mean something totally different in ancient times than it would in, you know, medieval times and than it would for today. And so in modern terms, you have to look at all of these different rules and think there's so many things that we do in our lives that would cover those 39 categories. And so the rules end up being really quite strict for the things that you can't do on Shabbat. Of course, in the Torah, you know, they didn't have cell phones and they didn't have computers, but all of those would fall under one of those 39 categories so that you couldn't do them today. I, okay. I have like a million questions I have to ask you about this. All right. So, um, I get this. So when it comes to the Sabbath, I mean, I, I do think many of us immediately think of all the things you're not supposed to do, the, the rules. And you just named, there's all these categories. I remember one time I, you know, I ignorantly, we, we were, I, I was at an event and it was a Saturday and um, I was doing it with a rabbi and with a priest. It was like a setup for a joke, a rabbi priest and a pastor right. went to a right. bar. We were at a bar to um, pray a prayer of blessing over this bar. This is a true story. It was Schlafly's here in St. Louis for St. Louis listeners. Sure. And at the end, um, you know, we were all taking pictures and I asked the rabbi to take a picture of the priest to me. And he said, he said, I can't do that. I can't take the picture. And it, it was in my mind, I thought, oh, because it was work. So talk a little bit about some of these rules, uh, because I do think a lot of people, especially non-Jews, kind of misunderstand. So there's all these things that you can't do. Um and some people are more strict about these than others. 
talk about the rules and kind of how those rules are understood. And I don't want to get too complicated, but much like Christianity, you have a few branches of Judaism and those rules are sort of interpreted differently amongst the three largest branches. Is that true? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So talk about the difference a little bit. Okay. So, so let's, you know, if you think about what it's someone who is an Orthodox Jew would say, and I'm going to call them, um, let's call them Torah observant Jews. So their, their Judaism is bound by halakha. Halakha means, it means law, but it comes from the word to walk. So, so they are the folks that they walk the walk of what is in the Torah. They're, they're doing exactly what it says there. Um, but of these laws, you know, what, they, what they're doing is they're not just following the exact laws that, are, that were sort of laid out based on Torah. They're also going to do something um, that we call making a fence around the Torah. And the idea of making a fence around the Torah is basically saying, look, there might be a law that made sense in biblical times, but sometimes you might have to make that law a, a little bit stricter to be able to make sure that it is still meaningful for modern day. So, um, so uh, like, I'll, I'll give you just sort of like a, a funny example that like whenever I teach this to um, teenagers, they love it, but it's sort of helpful. So like one of the rules is that you're not supposed to tear things on Shabbat. Okay, so that seems pretty easy. Like, you know, when do I tear stuff? Not that often if I'm making an art project with my kids. But you know when you tear stuff? When you use the restroom, because you might have to tear toilet paper. So if you go to Israel, or if you are living in some in a home where someone is observant, instead of tearing the toilet paper, you are going to use pre-torn toilet paper. Now that seems totally silly, right? But I can get pre-torn toilet paper. You can, you can. I mean, you can also just use tissues, right? But like, or or for instance, like um, also in Israel. If you get into an elevator, you're not supposed to push the button. So on Shabbat, they have Shabbat elevators where it just, it will uh, stop on every floor. So you don't actually have to do the work of pushing the button in the elevator, which again, I, for me, and you know, I'm not an Orthodox Jew. For, so for me, some of these rules don't make that much sense, but they're all different ways just to make sure that you're constantly mindful of the fact that you're thinking about it being Shabbat that you are not going to to break any of these rules. And it's not like, you know, God is going to be mad at you if you accidentally push the button. I don't think that that's what anyone thinks. It's just trying to say, this time is sacred, and I actually do have to, <laughs> it's not the right word, but I have to work to make it sacred, right? Like, I should say something besides work, but you have to make an effort to make sure that this time is going to be as sacred as you want it to be and different than anything else. I think that's I think that's so important because a lot of people will hear this, whether they're not Orthodox Jews or not Jewish at all, and say, well, it just sounds like a bunch of rules and regulations. That seems silly. But the idea, I think, makes sense to me in that once you start chipping away and making concessions here and there, pretty soon, nothing's sacred anymore. And I think all of us can see that in our culture. I mean, I, I grew up in a place where... You know, they didn't play sporting events on Sunday morning and Wednesday night because that was sort of, uh, you know, time set aside for church stuff. Uh, and and I think a lot of people kind of grew up maybe where there were at least some things that were fenced off still. I mean, maybe uh, at some point in time you couldn't do anything on Sunday and then stores started opening on Sunday and then you could do anything you want at any time of the day. And I, so I do think there's this idea that once we let, once we let, modifications happen in one area, pretty soon it becomes pretty difficult for us to, uh, to maintain, you know, any of those traditions. And I think we see that in Christianity too, even in our own life that, um, we have to establish sometimes some intentionality around some boundaries so that we can observe it in Sabbath, especially. Uh, but I want to, I want to shift because I think we can, we can talk a lot about what you're not supposed to do. 39 categories, pushing buttons, tearing things, um, all the way to uh, sort of more traditional kinds of work. But Sabbath isn't just about what you're not supposed to do, even though that's how we often understand it. Talk about, you kind of started to go there. So if we're not supposed to do these 39 things, what are people supposed to do on the Sabbath? I mean, like, literally, what are you supposed to do? Do people just sit around all day or what does it look like? So, you know, so 
if you are keeping the Sabbath in any sort of traditional way, and you know, and I'll also tell you more about sort of what we would do in a reform congregation, but I think once you realize that, okay, there's there's no expectations of you on Shabbat, right? Like you are, you're not going to answer your phone calls, and you're not going to write the emails, and you're not going to go to work, and you're also not going to, you know, cook a big meal or clean your house. Then suddenly you are left with this freedom where really all there is to do is spend time with people and rest and maybe read a book and pray and sing. And that is pretty much it. So, you know, so a traditional, a traditional Sabbath, a traditional Shabbat. So in Judaism, all of our holidays, they start in the evening um, because in the Torah, when they talk about the creation story, it says, you know, there was evening and there was morning, a first day. So all of our holidays, including Shabbat, start in the evening. So on Friday night, when the sun goes down, um, traditionally, the first thing you do is you you light Shabbat candles because you're not supposed to light anything on Shabbat. So after you've lit those Shabbat candles, that is like this magical divider between the week that was and Shabbat. And there's a tradition that a lot of uh, women do, especially where you light the Shabbat candles and you wave your hands in front of your eyes. And it's almost as if you're creating this sort of magical um, break in time by doing that. And so you open your eyes and Shabbat has arrived. And so you light the candles. A lot of people will go to services on Friday night. And um, and the Friday night service is usually very, very musical. Um, It includes all of these different um, psalms and there's some different prayers that were written by Kabbalists, by like the Jewish mystics and Scott that you do on Friday night. And then you go and you have a Shabbat meal with your family and they're singing. And usually, you know, people will talk Torah or they'll, you know, have some sort of meaningful um, Friday evening experience. And then on Saturday, again, a lot of people go to services in the morning and you read from the Torah on Saturday morning, which is a big deal. A lot of times if a child is becoming bar or bat mitzvah, he's 13, that'll happen at a Saturday morning service. And then the afternoon is usually spent, again, eating and sleeping and socializing. And it's really just a full day of doing nothing but being together and resting. So I, you said a, co- a couple things that I want to follow up on. So I think I want to talk about you and your congregation. So you you lead a reformed congregation. It's a little bit different than the Orthodox congregation that you were talking about, Uh, has maybe a different understanding of the rules, but talk a little bit about for you and most of the people you lead, what is the most difficult part of keeping Sabbath? So I, I mean, I think that for most Reformed Jews, one of, one of the hardest things is that if you want to be a part of a Jewish community where you can walk to services, right? That's a big thing is you're not supposed to drive on Shabbat. It means you have to live in a very small area. And so, you know, in St. Louis, like we have like two sort of um, areas of the of St. Louis that have large Jewish populations, where like large Orthodox Jewish populations where they can walk to synagogue. But most of St. Louis is not like that. So the vast majority of my congregation, if they wanted to come and pray on a Friday night or a Saturday morning and walk there, they couldn't do it. Now, my husband and I are very lucky. We decided, you know, both as rabbis of the same congregation, that we wanted to live in walking distance. So um, so we, you know, we have that, that luxury of being able to do it. But the vast majority of our congregants can't. So already, you know, they are getting in a car on their way to Shabbat. Um, and I, I think that's just, that is just one of those things that is, uh, you know, in, in the modern world that most of us do not live in communities where we are able to be that close to where we want to worship. Um, but, you know, I think for Reformed Jews, now I'm not sure that all my congregants would, would put it in these terms, but, but here's the way it was explained to me before I became a rabbi, and it's always really stressed up with me. So if you think about the Ten Commandments in the Torah, so they're, you know, we read them two different times, one in Exodus and one in Deuteronomy, and they're almost exactly the same, except for when they talk about Shabbat, when they talk about the Sabbath. And in the first one, the word says shamor, you should uh, guard or keep the Sabbath. And then in Deuteronomy, it says zahor, it says you should remember the Sabbath. So the way that it was explained to me is that, okay, as Reformed Jews, we may not always be able to um, to shamor, right? Like we may not always be able to keep all of those laws, all of the rules that some of our ancestors set out for Shabbat, but 
we can Zahor. We can remember it. And so for us remembering it, like most of my, um, I mean, certainly my family, but in, in my community, we light candles on Friday nights and we either have family dinners or we go to services, you know, pre-pandemic, we always, you know, had a lot of food prior to services in case someone was you know, rushing from work and didn't have time to have dinner first. And it's a time to be with community and to be with family. So we might not be following all of the laws that they would in a more observant. We might not be following that shamor of, of keeping, but we definitely will the whore. We will remember it. Yeah. I, I can't help but like filter as you talk about Judaism and your congregation. I, I'm always filtering it through categories that are familiar in in you know Christianity. And I, I don't know if this is an exact parallel, but you know we have conservative Christians. Sometimes you call them evangelical Christians or fundamentalists who see things much differently than more progressive congregations. The one I lead is a more progressive congregation. Um, but also some of the challenges with that is that, you know, when it comes to the idea of like, let's say rest or setting aside Sunday in our case for worship and for family and the things that you talk about, they just sort of don't do it. They're not very good at a, being observant. They want to, but they don't. Do you have the, is the same problem exist in Judaism? People who kind of have intentions to, to set aside the Sabbath, but it gets overrun with activity. I mean, is that true of people in your congregation as well, or are they better at this? No, for sure. Like for our confirmation class, we do confirmation when our students are 16 and our confirmation class this past week, I had given them the challenge that I wanted them to all keep Shabbat and they had to come back and honestly sort of share with each other what they'd been able to do and what was hard for them. And literally not one of them, (laughs) none of them were able to keep it. One of them was like, yeah, I accidentally picked up my phone like 10 minutes after Shabbat. (laughs) It's very, very hard for them. But I also think that some of the challenge is that when um, all of these things are much easier when everyone is doing it, right? Like you mentioned that when you were a kid, that Sundays were sacred time. And interestingly, most of the Jewish community we, you know, back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, we switched when we did our religious school to Sundays because we got that in America, Sunday morning was a sacred time. Um, now, you know, Sunday's sport starts at 8 a.m. And it's right. like that that holy space is not there anymore. Um, and so, you know, so if, if other people aren't doing it, it makes it that much more challenging. You know, I'll say in the times of my life when I've been able to be in Israel and live in Israel, especially in Jerusalem. In, in Jerusalem, on Friday night, 18 minutes before Shabbat starts, there is, um, it's called a siren, I mean, it's a siren, but it sounds almost like a shofar. There's a siren that goes off before Shabbat so that everyone knows Shabbat's almost here, get home, it's time to light your candles, it's time to get ready, and the street's empty. And when you're in an environment like that, it's so easy to keep Shabbat because everyone's doing it and you see how wonderful and simple it can be but you know but in in america it is it's a terribly hard thing to do um especially if there are expectations of people around you that oh you're not going to work on saturday you're not going to come in and you know play on the baseball team um and there is this you know this fomo that like you're missing out on something amazing if you are saying no this is just my family time or my time for me yeah that's such a reminder that I mean, both of our religious traditions emphasize community so much. And we see faith oftentimes in America, especially as this sort of private, personal thing. But there's so much about both of our faiths that are are communal or depend so much on a sense of people doing it together. And certainly Sabbath is one of those. All right. So a lot of people listening aren't Jewish, but my sense is that this idea of Sabbath has something to to teach all of us. Now, a, a lot of listeners are Christian and, and we share at least this common heritage, but even non-religious people, what wisdom do you think Judaism offers non-religious people or, or non-Jews when it comes to this idea of Sabbath? I mean, how can Sabbath inform the lives of even just non-religious people who might feel stressed or overburdened by busyness? Well, so weirdly, I kind of think that with the pandemic, we have gotten a taste of this. And Mm -hmm. obviously, the pandemic is horrible, right? No one ever would have wished any of this upon us. The losses are, you know, indescribable. But I, I think that we have also seen what it's like when you're forced to stop and slow down. And that there have been these moments 
that, you know, that along the way that and I, I look at my own life and I look at the fact that over these months, you know, I, I've spent more time with my kids than when I was on maternity leave, you know, and I've had more days where I actually just sat and read a book and it, it has been a gift. And I, I actually, I feel like a different person than I did last March. And some of it has been this forced slowdown or pause. And I think that's what Shabbat is supposed to do. And this has really been just, um, it, it's been a forced Shabbat for all of us to, to have this time where you're just saying, I'm going to slow down and not do anything for a while and see what happens. And one of the beautiful ideas about Shabbat, you know, there's a story in, um, it's in the book of Exodus. It's actually, we're, we're coming to the point in the Torah where we're going to read it soon. And when they're first in the desert and God gives the people manna to eat. And a part of the story of, of God bringing manna from heaven is to say, you know, God is going to provide for you, that you will be okay. And then there's a story where someone goes and he picks up the manna on Shabbat, even though he's not supposed to, and he's punished for it. He's killed for it, actually. Um, but it's supposed to be this lesson saying, no, sometimes you have got to force yourself to just relax and God will provide and I think that even if you are someone who, you know, who doesn't believe in God as like a dude, which, you know, I, frankly, I don't really either, but just this idea that, that there is such a thing as, as providence, as that you will be okay if you just take it easy for a little bit. Um, but I think that's what the Sabbath gives us, is this sense that you can take a whole day and not do a darn thing, and you're going to be fine. You may even be better. You know, I that's such a important word because I think that's a lie so many of us tell ourselves is that this is a good idea. It's good for most people, but I can't do that because I have this really important job that I do, or I've got uh, the kind of family that where that's just not realistic. Or, I mean, we, we tell ourselves all sorts of things. And I think sometimes about the irony of, you know, you think about God uh, the creator of the world, the one who sustains all things, uh, all these billions of people praying to God. God has a lot to do, but somehow God rested. And I always think it's kind of funny that essentially when we tell ourselves that lie, what we're telling ourselves is, you know, God, I, I know uh, rest works for you, but you don't understand all the things I have going on. I mean, it's really sort of a silly uh, it's a, it's a silly thing to think that somehow God can do this, but we can't. Uh, so I, right. I'm curious, um, because I, I do think there's something powerful about the, the weekly rhythm of doing this. And I want you to talk a little bit. I mean, sa the idea of Sabbath is, is not, it's not like take a vacation sometimes or have some me time or s self care, but it's, I'm really curious about this idea of Sabbath being weekly. I think there's something important to that. Talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, the importance of Sabbath being a weekly ritual. I mean, do you think it's important that we do this weekly? And how is Sabbath different from something like vacation or time away or, I don't know, some me time? I mean, how is this idea different? Well, so I think if you, if you imagine what you do on vacation, right? I know for me, the, those rare times where I get vacation, I am just like waiting and waiting and the tension is just building in me until finally I get there to vacation. Right. But it's, you know, it's almost like I'm not even like living up to that point because I'm just waiting for, for that time where, uh, where I'll get to take a break. Um, and then sometimes, you know, you come back and you're like, oh, I need a vacation from my vacation. You know, it's, it's really not true rest. And I think the idea of saying, oh no, this should be as regular as anything else you do, that this is something that your body and your soul requires every single week. And the point that you said before about God, uh, about us being like God and needing this rest, that is so important because you're right. You know, I think a lot of us feel like, oh, if you take a weekly break, that it's like a sign of weakness or of your unimportance. But no, it's God rest who are we to think we shouldn't and that it has to happen every single week. And I think like any routine that people get into, whether it's an exercise routine or a prayer routine or, or whatever it is you do, that if you find you're doing it every single week, that it starts to really sort of seep into you and make a real difference. And it's not the same as going on a vacation once or twice a year, even if that's like the most awesome vacation ever. Um, it's just saying, though, this is something that you should expect 
and your body should become accustomed to what it means to actually have this whole day of rest. Yeah, I think it's so important. I mean, I think about burnout and, you know, people who desperately need a vacation because they're at their wits end, rarely does vacation work for people like that because the problem is more chronic. I mean, it's it's deeper than just needing a vacation. And I, I what I love about Sabbath and as I've gotten more intentional about observing it in my own life is, you know, the, the regularity of it keeps us from that getting into that place of chronic fatigue it's one thing that it does in, in my life. It keeps me from getting to that place of chronic fatigue. It builds in regularly rest so that um, I'm better the other six days that I do work and then I'm trying to be productive. Um, I think, you know, I think about sleep, you know, sleep scientists will tell you, you know, you can't really catch up on sleep. I mean, you can sleep more, but if you're, you know, if you're chronically not sleeping enough, it doesn't really work to sleep three hours a night for, you know, 10 days in a row and then try to sleep 24 hours. You, you need a regular rhythm. And I think of Sabbath in, in much the same way. But there, so let's be real. I mean, some people who are listening are going to be saying, yeah, you know, I, I love this idea. I'd love to do it, but there's just no way, you know, no way I can do that in my own life. I hear that in people in my own congregation. You know, what wisdom do you have or practices can you offer for people who love this idea, but just don't know where they could possibly start or don't see it as realistic for their life? So I think it's important to start small. And to not suddenly say to yourself, yeah, I'm going to take this whole day. Because I, I do think you're right. I mean, that's, that's almost impossible to do. It's such a huge shift in your system. But I think you can just take on one piece of it and try. And sort of like I was saying with my confirmation students, I said, okay, well, what if instead of saying I'm going to do a whole, a whole day of complete rest, what if you weren't on your phone or you weren't on electronics for a whole day? What would happen then? You know, or or if that doesn't seem feasible to you, you know, one of the most important things that we do as a family is every Friday night, we light Shabbat candles. We have, um, there's a a wonderful friend of ours, Diane Packman, who is is a baker, and she bakes the Sahala every Friday night. And so we have it every Friday night, and then I make French toast with it every Saturday morning. And it's just this routine that, um, that creates a special experience for our family that is just these sacred moments that we just, we know now this is part of who we are and it brings a little bit of joy and something special to our week. And it's funny because the the candle lighting and the challah and the services, you know, it's not that that's necessarily restful. It's just saying it's making this time, um, it's making this time, the the word we use in Hebrew is kadosh. It means holy or separate. It's just saying this is going to be different from the rest of the week. And sometimes that can be enough to start. Just saying, no matter what, this is going to be a special time. And then maybe the rest part of it comes next. Um, But being able to, you know, for for people who are first experiencing the Sabbath or for us, you know, who are first experiencing Judaism, that's what I say. Take this one thing. Just light the candles. Just eat some challah. You know, just participate in services, which, again, now it's the pandemic. Like, you can sit in your jammies and watch services, and it's so easy. Um, And those little steps help you start to think wow, this feels good. Maybe I could try a little bit more. I love that advice. I I was writing as you were talking because I love that. Start small. Start maybe with one area of your life. Like, okay, I'm going to rest technology or I'm going to rest on the work, opening the laptop for work. Um, Creating some kind of ritual or routine. You know, I always tell people, you know, Christians, like, uh, how about an hour for worship on Sunday? Just create a ritual and say, we're going to do this together. And then, you know, the other 23 hours, you still do whatever you want. But whether it's lighting a candle or eating a meal, you know, try to create some ritual that sets that time apart. I love that idea. Emphasize relationship, which you've said several times. But I think so often in our life, we value something we have to get done over someone that we uh, might want to be with or might need to be with us. And then just finding a way to mark the time as separate. I couldn't agree more, though, that uh, that people should try this. That the idea of Sabbath, I mean, it is not a mistake that it works. You know, we believe, of course, God created us. And God created us to go six days and rest one. That's how we were made. And I always, 
I always say to my congregation, you know, things work better when you use them as they were intended to be used. Um, we were not intended to be seven days a week uh, creatures. Uh, right. We weren't intended to operate that way. And so when we continue to try to do that, you know, no wonder we get burned out. No wonder we have this sense of, you know, imbalance in our lives. No wonder we uh, feel like we're stretched too thin and we can't get to everything. No wonder we get chronically fatigued. And so I just really want to urge people to, to listen to what you've shared, uh, that it, it can be such a gift in our lives. And, and I guess that's really kind of where I wanted to close is, as you've gotten better, or those seasons of your life where you've really leaned in and been intentional about observing Sabbath, what's the gift to you been? What have you experienced because of it? Oh, you know, I, I think for me, it, it brings me closer to my family. And even frankly, now that um, even now when services are virtual, I mean, Friday night is the best part of my week because I know that people are watching and I feel that sense of community and I feel this sense, you know, we light the candles and I cover my eyes and I just, it's as if I feel like we are all taking this collective breath and thinking like, okay, you know, we made it another week. And it gives me the strength to be able to think, okay, I made it through that week. I can do this again. Um, and it's just, there's something beautiful, especially thinking all of these people, millions of people around the world are doing this at the exact same time. There's a real bit of magic there. And for me, you know, that's what God is, is the idea of this interconnectedness that all of us are having these moments at the same, same time thinking, I made it. I can make it through again. Um, and that's, I mean, that for me is, is a real blessing that comes from keeping the Sabbath each week in my own way. Uh, I love it. Thanks for sharing that. And I just want to, again, just really encourage people to take this to heart, whether you're religious or not, Jewish or Christian, uh, the idea of Sabbath is something that I think immediately can make a difference in our lives. But as you said, sort of ironically, Rabbi Amy, you have to work at it. You have to be intentional yeah, about exactly. doing this. It, it doesn't just happen. Like we have to actually, uh, we have to actually put some intentionality into it. And so I hope people will do that. Well, Amy, I could talk to you all day. I had several ideas just as we were talking. I want you to come back sometime. We need to do just like ask a rabbi or ask a pastor because no, there's so many fascinating things between our two faiths that are similar and yet these things that are different. And I learned something every time I talk to you. So this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining oh, me today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'll talk to you anytime you want. Sounds good. Well, thank you all for listening today. Uh, this has been the F Word, Conversations on Faith. I'm your host, Matt Miofsky. Don't forget, you can share this episode. Uh, it'll drop as a podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. You can share it with someone that you think might need rest, might need to hear it. Also, that email ad address, the F Word at gatheringnow.org, uh, the F Word, just the letter F, uh, at gatheringnow.org. Email me. Uh, ask questions. I'm going to take some time in future episodes just to kind of answer random questions. They can be about God, life, faith, being a pastor, Christianity, uh, whatever you want. Ask a question. Uh, let me know what you're thinking. But I really appreciate you all listening. Thank you so much. And I will see you next week. Mm -hmm.